Hi there and welcome to episode 11 of the Weekly General Meeting podcast with me, Neil Conlon and Shane Langan. On the show this week, poet Colm Keegan returns, author and director John Butler in conversation and music from the unbelievably wonderful Ham Sandwich. This week's show is brought to you once again in association with our fantastically loyal sponsors, Independence. Independence is a music and arts festival which takes place on the first weekend of August, Friday 1st to Sunday 3rd in Mitchellstown, County Cork. This year's lineup is a cracker, featuring Public Enemy, Tom O'Dell, White Lies and Hosier to name just four. Remember, this is the last week for you to get your three-day camping tickets for a special reduced rate of just €99. Euro. Visit tickets.ie and or independencefestival.com for more details. You may remember our first guest from episode five of the podcast. He's an incredible award-winning poet from Dublin. He's a great friend of the show and he's back now with another fantastic performance. This is Colm Keegan. Thanks. So I left my job last year to be... um, a full-time creative writing teacher, poetry dude, and uh, it's been going really well. Yeah, thanks very much. And uh, yeah, um, yeah. So all panic aside, like about like kind of where's the money coming from? I kind of have this mad thing where um, I don't have to be on the same route every day. But the mad thing about the route I used to be on was every bus stop or bridge on the canal lock on the way to the job, there was a little bouquet or little shrine to a guy who died violently like either drug-related gang crime or just like, you know, teenage men are just violent and crazy sometimes. And um, there was one particular fella that really affected me. I remember just, I think I was friends with one of his sisters or something on Facebook and and was just kind of was following, which is weird and macabre in a way, but following their... Uh, hunt for him like when he when he was missing and then it turned out he was murdered and all and he was only young and he was an early school leaver and you know anyway that's another story I could have a little rant about what's going on with the educational system as well but um, I just think it's important that uh, to think of those guys those young men and like all we all we want from them really is to is to not end up wrapped up in that you know because uh, there's so many ways it can happen to them um, and I, I was trying to write this poem for ages and I was just writing it was like a horrible downer poem you know like just kind of he was one way, and then he, and then something like horrible happened to him at the end. And uh, I, decided, well, I decided to kind of focus on really all I wanted for him and young men like him. So this is the poem came out. It's called Memorial. And it starts with po- a quote from Carol Ann Duffy, because I sort of nicked the idea of telling his life in the verse from her. Um, if poetry could tell it backwards, then it would. Memorial. They say there is a blessed bouquet Tied to the last in a row of lampposts that shine their light on waste ground near your home. The flowers go from wilted to vibrant before being untied slowly and taken down by a mother who goes backwards into town. Go back a few days more to her and all your family gathering, standing in a field and watching. You're removed from plastic, eyes closed, just slid into a drainage ditch where from dawn to when the cowslip closes to midnight and beyond, heat creeps from the grass into your body. In the dark, three men will come with tools they use to pour blood and bits into your stomach. While you rise up and scream, they watch the muck and grass leaving your tree-striped tracksuit. They suck the pain and damage from your bruises with their fists and turn it into angry shouts they swallow while their tills are quietly hidden in their pockets. Together, you all run back in time, past the lampposts, into a garden, the weeds all crooked and unkempt, shrinking back from them, 
as they skip in through the back door, escaping into the shadows of a house filled with our friends. Young, good-looking boys and girls, music and a party starting as soon as you step in. Thanks very much. That was Colm Keegan. If you're heading along to Marley Park this weekend to see the Pixies and Arcade Fire, you're in for an extra treat because our next guests will also be on the bill. A couple of years ago, they played an amazing set for us on top of a barge on the Grand Canal one sunny summer evening. And they very kindly joined us again straight from the studio where they're recording their third album. This is Ham Sandwich. Thank you. 
That was Ham Sandwich with Cobra. Our final guest this week is an acclaimed writer and director. His first novel, Tenderloin, was published in 2012 to critical acclaim. He's also the director of the hilarious RTE sketch series, Your Bad Self, as well as the hugely successful 2014 Irish movie, The Stag. He's an incredibly lovely gentleman, and he joined Neil recently in Dublin for a quick chat. This is John Butler. John Butler. We wanted to take the opportunity to pick your brain a little bit and uh, ask you some questions uh, and then, and then ho- hopefully get you to answer the, the questions. <laughs> As you asked them? Yep. Okay. The order that you asked. And then maybe if anybody in the audience wants to ask other questions that we haven't asked already, um, we can do that afterwards. And I can answer them. And then he can answer them. <laughs> um, I wanted to know how you broke in to being a director and writer. I... Uh, went to college and uh, did a, 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 a film uh, course, which was purely theoretical. So I wrote a lot of essays about Groundhog Day, <laughs> which are available to read. And uh, <laughs> so, that, so that was rubbish. And then after that, I, uh, <laughs> after that, I moved to America and started to work for a television company. I got a job uh, just moving furniture and uh, delivering mail uh, post in Ireland. And uh, uh, so that was the foot in the door. So I began uh, working, it was a magazine show about uh, computers and the internet. And this was in San Francisco in the mid 1990s, just as that was all taking off. So I got a job there and began to make little bits and pieces for them. And then a few years later, I came back to Ireland and got a job in uh, TV3, just as that began. So So I'm really old, that's the other thing I should mention at this point. You are exactly 10 years older than I am. According to the Irish Examiner, they, uh, not like the the, the article didn't ha- it mention me. I thought you I thought you I thought you divined that yeah. from me saying when the internet no, was invented. No, that would be or, pretty impressive. Yeah. Though, yeah. Um, and w- so you went to the states straight out of college. Yeah. And got a job. Got a job. I got a green card. Uh, the year I, l- I went to America, it was the first year ever that uh, green cards were undersubscribed for it. So everyone who applied in the lottery got one. Because um, this was 1995, and I guess things were starting to look up in Ireland, and I, ju- I don't think the attraction was there quite as strongly as it has maybe become since. So, yeah, I was really, really lucky to get to do it. But in terms of writing and making things that weren't about computers and the internet, that didn't really happen until after I came back to Ireland and you know uh, made some short films with the Irish Film Board and made some documentaries and other bits and pieces. So. And y- uh, during that time, you had a blog, right? You set up a blog in, in 2006? 2000, I, was writing a, uh, I, set up, I was writing a WordPress blog, and the um, editor of the Irish Times magazine read it and gave me a weekly column for, mm. for the magazine. And uh, I mean, I think kind of, uh, without sounding highfalutin, I think it's so, uh, finding one's voice is everything. And... Uh, and those kind of uh, moments are, are significant, even though not many people read your blog or not many people read the piece in the paper. It's just a fantastic uh, way to learn how to say what you think and to stand over it and to yeah. finish a piece of writing and commit it to the world, you know, which is nothing is more value, I, I don't think. I don't know if you've come across that guy, Austin Klein. He's the guy that wrote the Steal Like an Artist book. He, he has a follow-up called Show Your Work. 
where he, he says exactly that like no matter what you do just put it out there you know like write a blog draw a picture yeah I think everybody who's on tonight fantastic poets and writers and comedians they all do that thing which is they stand over it and go well this is as good as it can be and and I think that takes huge bravery and obviously musicians as well everybody who's involved in any kind of creative expression you know and so you you came back to Ireland you worked for TV3 and you started making TV programs how did your bad self come about I had two friends uh, Ben and Owen and we I'd go hang out in their house and during the week and we'd just kind of drink tea and try and make each other laugh and, and we wanted to do a sketch show but they hadn't really been done so so often on RTE before but we, we just rode into this vacuum for a long time and then we got uh, 15 grand out of RTE in, in 2000 to make a 15 minute pilot of a sketch show and um, I was fortunate enough to know some actors and got them to be in it including Hugh O'Connor who's here who's terrific and uh, we made a 15 minute pilot and then 10 years later <laughs> They came back with the rest. They, they came back with money to make another 15 minutes, and then they bolted those two 15 minutes together, and it became a broadcast half what? hour. It wasn't that long. It was only 10 years. Are you serious? Yeah. Was there not like continuity problems with the actors? Hugh is uh, ageless. <laughs> That's true. Uh, uh, yeah. For the benefit of the podcast Podcasters. audience. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Uh, the very handsome lead of the stag is in the audience, refusing, refusing to take part in the panel, no doubt, because he's famous. But uh, why don't we give him a big round of applause and embarrass him. You can do a lot worse than no actors, I have to say, socially. If you're going to be involved in the, that kind of end of the business, you know, being surrounded by people who can act is a great thing. And Peter MacDonald, who's a friend who have written with a lot as well, and... Michael McElhatton. So we, we got a, a cast together and then when it came time to do the second half and to make a series, we, um, there, were, there were other a couple of other people that we'd worked with who could write and some others who were great and, and we approached them and, and built a little ensemble. So, but, so that took 10 years, right? So you're, in the meantime, you're kind of a freelance writer uh, slash d director. How, how do you actually, I mean, this is something probably a lot of the performers uh, come up against here, certainly something me and Shane come up against all the time. It's like, how do you actually, how do you fill your days? Like, you know, how do you, what motivates you, you know? Um, how do you get up out of bed? Um, I, I write badly. Uh, yeah. <laughs> that takes up a lot of time. I think um, I, I always worked, obviously. Um, I don't have, uh, I don't come from money, so uh, that was always part of it. Uh, and uh, I, so I, I made, a, occasionally made television commercials. Uh, I worked for uh, RTE briefly and uh, work for some other companies and you know you'd kind of scrabble bits of money here and there the film board is uh, can be great in terms of getting money for shorts and so I mean looking back uh, and I'm not really really I don't consider myself to be removed from that position now but uh, it always seemed to work uh, year on year so um, in terms of uh, filling days uh, for a long time I've had a fairly uh, decent amount of discipline in terms of writing I just do it every day and uh, and it doesn't feel like work, which is the luckiest thing so in the you, world. So like, you get up, you're at, you're at a desk at 10, 10 9, 10 in the morning. 9 to 5. Right. Yeah. What about the internet? It's so romantic, isn't it? it 9 is to romantic. 5. <laughs> and the internet, I have a, a piece of software called Freedom, which is brilliant. Um, it's You just say how long you want to be offline for, and you put it in, and, and then it shuts down your computer. Wow. Yeah, it's amazing. So I do that for two-hour or three-hour spells. And, and it's amazing, your mind, you're like a little mouse on a wheel. Like, from the first hour, every... 
four minutes, you think about checking your email, and the second hour, it's eight minutes, and then 10, you know, like we are uh, certainly, I mean, it is, it's addiction, so. Well, tell me this, right, at this stage in your career, right, you've, you've done it, you've made a, f a feature film, you've, you've made uh, television programs, you've lived and worked abroad, so you've, um, <coughs> a lot of the people that come to the shows are uh, aspiring filmmakers and, and writer, writers, or, or even like maybe writers um, in, in, like in a professional sense, but at this stage you, you must have um, some advice for those people, even if they happen to be a person with a mic phone that was <laughs> looking for advice. How do you do it? How do you, how do you be a professional writing man? Well, the first thing I'd say is that I'm not the right person to ask because I don't. A, a lot of the things that I've done have, um, haven't sustained themselves for longer than, say, in the case of the sketch show, more than one season. Or, you know, uh, I certainly wouldn't uh, consider myself to be an established author either. So I don't feel like I've uh, moved into a place where I can look back from a position of comfort. But uh, I think writing every day is, is part of it, certainly. And uh, like I said before, I think finishing is vital. And uh, also, I know a lot of people often say that the barriers to entry in terms of making things if you're interested in film and t television are gone because you can get one of those great cameras and, and you know, assemble people you know, but uh, finishing it is the thing, you know? Like everybody has ideas, but nobody necessarily does anything with those ideas. I think so, or people shoot things, but they don't finish them. Okay. Or they shoot them and they, they edit them for a little bit, but they don't finish them. I think. I'm a broken record, but there's something to be said for it, because it tells you about yourself. I think it establishes limits on your own creative abilities, and then it, it, uh, with the next thing that you try and do, you try and exceed those boundaries, but you don't know what those boundaries are until you've finished the, the previous thing. And I think, mistakes. yeah, absolutely, yeah. And, and feel the embarrassment. I mean, I, there are sketches in Your Bad Self that I'm, I'm so glad we don't have a DVD out because they're so bad, you know. And uh, similarly, there are pieces that I wrote for the paper that were so dreadful that I, my, my, I'm, my, I'm nearly crying with embarrassment thinking <laughs> of them. But that's the point. The discipline is that on Wednesday by XPM, you're committed to sending something. And, and you go, well, okay, maybe it's, uh, it's not perfect, but I, can't, I cannot do anything better. You know, Not just for reasons of time, but just that's who I am at this point. You know? I believe anyone who doesn't finish isn't a writer, and anybody who finishes is. You know, that's the only dis distinction. I feel so, I feel that's the case. Yeah, I know. You know, it's hard. I mean, it's brutally hard, but uh, yeah, that's how you build up a body of work, and it doesn't all have to be brilliant, but it all has to be done. So, like, fast forward from your bad self to the stag. Was that many years in development? That was it hard to get together in terms of the funding, get the cast together, actually getting a feature film off the ground. Uh, I'd imagine it's it's doable, but the way you guys did it, which is on an international scale and mm. in the States and all over the world, it's, it's fantastic for Irish film. It's really, really, really genuinely fantastic. Thank but you. did you find it difficult to, to make it happen? And, and why don't you talk us through the, why don't you talk us through the process? Well, there's a great song in the stag by a plucky outfit yeah, from, yeah. from North Dublin that you might have heard of called <laughs> Dalarantos. Um, the stag came about extremely quickly and I, I know, I think that's probably the eighth or ninth uh, feature screenplay that I've written, but uh, my sensibilities are uh, definitely uh, attuned towards commercial comedy with heart. Um, those are the films that I watch and those are the films that I would love to try and make. And uh, my co-writer and I, Peter MacDonald, uh, two summers ago were kicking around the idea of a stag uh, 
from the perspective of people who don't want to be there, we always felt like there w it was only funny if the guys didn't want to be there. The, the people who want to go on stags are generally dreadful. <laughs> <laughs> or not dreadful, that's a terrible thing to say, but I think uh, as you inch north through your 30s, I think the appeal of them starts to wane. And, uh, and so I think, uh, you know, I've been on tons of stags, I've been on Peters, uh, you know, and they were great and they have been great, but I think, um, there's a certain sense that it's it's an outdated um, ritual and it doesn't have as much value as perhaps it used to because the day after you get married you're with your mates again. So, so we wanted to write that and we felt that that had uh, potential as a commercial comedy with heart and we outlined the script over the course of that summer. So for three months we outlined it and then we wrote the script very quickly in about a month and then that was September and then we got the funding from the film board in October and we were shooting in November. That is that is, from my limited knowledge, that's very quick. It's a, a really unprecedented. So like a month to write script, having outlined it for three Yeah, but the, the, for us, the trick on the outline is we didn't write a single word of dialogue. You're not allowed to write dialogue in the outline because it papers over diff like uh, cracks in terms yeah, yeah, of yeah, the yeah, logic yeah. of a scene. So the outline was at, at, at like a 20-page document, like beat by beat, and it was all there. So moving from that to a script was... Uh, like the, the structure was already there. Sure, yeah. So you, you know, all you want to do as a writer is write dialogue. Yeah. There isn't a writer in the world who goes, I'm not actually very good at dialogue, <laughs> you know. But the discipline <laughs> is in delaying that gratification until the yeah. thing works, so. So wh what about the outlining process? Is that like you and Peter with a, a bunch of cue cards and, and a wall, or? Yeah, well, I, 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 I think how we did it was a, uh, just a Word document emailed back and forth. Really? Yeah. Who keeps the master document? Who's in control? They're dated, day, even if you don't do it the next day, you date it for the following day. So you have this trail, of, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, so you don't lose any ideas either. So we went back and forth and back and forth on that. And it's really interesting, you, you know, our capacity for self-deception is so massive that, you know, after two months, you'd be like, oh, listen, it just, uh, it, that just happens because fucking it happens. Because <laughs> wrote it. Can we now write the script, please? But you know in your head that you're lying. And that exposes, like that moment in the script is exposing a, a, a greater weakness. So if you pull at the thread of that, the whole thing falls. So we had to wait until we looked in each other's eyes and, and went, we know we're not lying now. We know it works, you know. And <coughs> so if the two of you are, are doing that for three, going on four months, did you have any kind of external person, like a friend, a, a person to point out the things that you might have, might have missed? The kind no, of the, uh, we, 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 Peter and I and you are, are very good friends and a lot of the time Peter would, and Just I... Just for the ben benefit of the podcast listeners, the star of the stag, Hugh O'Connor, is in the audience. If we can give him a big round of applause. Please. Are we just... The whole time, Peter and I were just like, we, we, we're writing something for you. It's going to be so fucking funny. Like, you're going to be so... Yeah. And well, that's probably an important part to getting it funded, right? That you had like four or five actors that w had high profiles, for the, for the most part, very high profiles that you that you could call and you knew they'd say yes. Is that is that right? Well, it's funny. It's not really um, with respect to all of them. You know, the, the film business is brutal, and the the type of fame that you need to open a film is 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 rare. And I think that's why you see a lot of Irish films have the same actors in them. You know, because you go with a cast like ours or with, you know, lots of Irish films, you go to sales markets to try and get some money before you shoot and they're just like, oh, so who have you got? And you list the people and they go, so you've got nobody. Ugh. Like, you know, in the, in the coarsest and most oh, yeah. uh, kind of crass way that, yeah. that film salespeople talk about, it's, a, it's an equation. And, and yeah. you know, certain things that you might imagine are the case aren't like 
TV fame doesn't translate to film. You know, so it wasn't really a, a question of us trying to package it that way. It was more like these are great guys and great actors that we've all worked with, including Amy Huberman, who is not a guy. Um, <laughs> but we knew that they were great and, and we could create a kind of a company feel with them because we didn't have money and we didn't have time. So our feeling was the only thing we can do, uh, which maybe has greater value than that, is have a, a nice atmosphere where people want to do it because they like the work. So we were really uh, very fortunate, you know, because it, we filmed it in 20 days. and 20 uh, days? Yeah, and, I, and, and it was in November in Ireland, and, so, and the cast were frequently naked. Um, so, yeah, no, I mean, gr enormous sacrifice. And, and you can't do that if, if your cast aren't uh, willing to go on the journey with you, you know? So you, do you think that that's a big part of the film's success in that you, in, in the first instance you just went for people that were good rather than people that could bring in money? Yeah, I do. I, actually, yeah, that's a good point. I think you're liberated in certain ways and I think that's the trick is to always kind of try and parlay whatever the problems of a situation are into advantages. So we don't have money, but here's what we can do. We can work with people that we know are not going to throw their toys out of the pram about certain hardships or you know, we know that they're great and that they've worked with certain types of material. So yeah, you, you try and make the best of what you have, but, uh, and, and you know, in a small way, I think it, it, when someone, I mean, they didn't all know each other, but within, we did uh, a, a few days rehearsal beforehand, which was really about trying to get them to engage on that level and, and you know, talk about their characters. But by the end of it, when we were ready to shoot, it, it really felt like, okay, we can, we can do this because they're all, brilliant and, and, and up to speed. Like the first day of filming was a nine page fight scene, uh, naked between uh, Davin and Did Fanon. you have to do that in the first day? Yeah, well the phrase that our first AD liked to employ was let's rip the band-aid off. Like the idea being that if you, if, you, if, you, if you get through the first day and you bank all that really difficult, uh, arduous uh, material, and then the second day was clothes on urban interiors where they're all eating sushi and having a great time. So it's like you, you get one day of that done and then you come back into the city and, and the feeling is one of we've achieved something great and we've put one of the worst scenes away, you know. So you did that on purpose, like you scheduled it? Yeah, way? absolutely. To yeah. bond everybody? Well, more like to give them a sense that, that they, you know, there were so many, uh, there's so many unknowables about, you know, are the cast going to, is it going to be sub-zero and the cast are naked? Like the wardrobe rail for the first week was four pieces of ivy and three socks. <laughs> so you're just you're genuinely worried, like, are they going to die? <laughs> it, you know, um, and if they, if they had died, it, it would have been... Would have been bigger, the film would have been bigger. Well, it just would have been so hard to finish the film. <laughs> like, nearly impossible. <laughs> yeah, well, I, I think it's really, really fantastic. I think it's brilliant to see an Irish film do so well internationally and like it's no small feat and you know it, it's a big part of why we do these shows you know so that like you hear stories like that i think it's fantastic and um, if you wouldn't mind maybe giving john a, a round of applause uh, <laughs> he's great. Um, Just before uh, we throw it to the crowd for uh, questions, wh what would you say in the, like say, what, what tw 20 years now in the business, what would be your, what's been your highlight to date and what's been the low point to date? And uh, have you taken anything from either of those things? The highlight to date was uh, the reaction from the audience in Dublin at the, film, the Dublin Film Festival uh, where it closed the festival. And, you know, y there's all sorts of uh, great moments that have occurred on, on 
making the style, bringing it to different countries and being gratified by their response. But you want, and I presume this is the same for you and you guys and everybody who does it, you want your, your, your own people and your hometown to get it, yeah. you know? So that was definitely the high point. That was a beautiful, beautiful moment. Um, there's been so many low points in my life that it's hard for me to pick one. Um, I feel like you have to um, mine the humiliations and, and the dreadful things in some way. Like I, I write books about them, you know. Um, I, uh, so many bad things have happened that uh, it would be hard I, to I, pick. I'll be honest with you, I didn't think that question through, and I realised this could be really <laughs> mean to ask you to tell all the bunch of strangers what the worst thing that's happened in your life <laughs> is. One of the worst. I meant I, career. I did. I say life. Did you? I meant career. Oh, I think you said life. Well, I was I thinking, thinking life. Yeah, I know. I yeah. could see the look on your face. It got yeah. really dark. Yeah. Uh, no, career. And like maybe career. put a positive spin on it. Like, yeah. <laughs> you learn something nice about it. Yeah. I, I, at the beginning of my, of, of my job in, in, in the television company in San Francisco, uh, and I was so, like, I just thought I was so deadly. You know, so I was 22 and I had a job and there's like computers everywhere and it's like the internet and I had no idea what the internet was and I was just moving desks around and but I just thought I was deadly and um, maybe a month into it I went out drinking at night with my, my mate Ronnie and a few other people and I woke up the next I worked nine to five and I woke up the next morning a work morning at noon. <laughs> so like when you wake up at noon you're like it's not like if I hustle and really get dressed really quick and maybe don't have a shower I will. <laughs> Like you're already th like lying in bed. You're three hours late, <laughs> and uh, I remember going into Ronnie, and I also was just like so drunk still. And I remember going into Ronnie and saying, "Ronnie, I, 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 what will I do?" And, and Ronnie, so brilliant, he's still a good friend of mine. He was like, "Just, don't, just don't go in, and not only don't go in, just don't ever go back there." <laughs> like that, that moment in your life is over. You need to now become a different person. And for a moment, I, I can remember so clearly standing there, looking at him kind of in his sleeping bag, and I was standing in my sleeping bag, and it was so tempting. But I went in, and I went in, and my boss just gave me mints, and was just like, eat all of them, and move all that stuff over here, whatever. And I got through it, and it was fine, but like, that was a real low to me. Just... Awesome, I'm really glad that was a funny story. Standing, <laughs> standing in my sleeping bag, looking at Ronnie, and Ronnie just going, that's over. You're, that's... That was John 1.0. Um, does anybody have any questions for uh, John? Um, I, I, I can't really see if... Uh, this always happens, doesn't it? Like, I bet you somebody does have a question. Did I mention that the star of the film is Stag? Hugh O'Connor's in the... You know, at the very least, actually, you'd think Hugh would ask a question, right? Really? No. Oh, excellent. Well, I, I have a kind of serious answer to that in a way, uh, um, and that is that I, I'm gay and uh, I didn't come out until my uh, early 30s. And, um, and, and I had a, a real uh, hard time with that for a long time in my life. It was, it was just a, a difficult time. And, and despite the jokes about San Francisco and all that period, I had a real hard time um, coming to terms with that. But I got there and the first thing that happened to me after that, um, after I made that decision and did that was that I'd be, I, as a writer, 
I became obsessed with the truth. You know, like uh, it's almost like everything that I wrote beforehand was an attempt to conceal who I was. So it, it, if you were to graph it, it would look like a, a, something that curled in on itself. And uh, and then and it wasn't conscious or or thought or felt in any way. And I didn't do it with a sense that that would ever happen. But afterwards, it was just. The, the path of expression was a straight line, and and I became obsessed with it, and and it, you know immediately started to write for the newspaper, and, and then various other things accumulated on top of that, and it, it that that to me is the biggest uh, gift that I could have gotten was the sense that um, I mean obviously in my personal life everything is just so much better as a result of that, but as well just in terms of who I am and how I think and how I feel, the line is straight and will always be straight and. Uh, and that's just, uh, you know, kind of brilliant. So I, I don't know. I, I became uh, obsessed with the truth in the sense that I became obsessed with telling the things about myself that I felt were most mortifying. Whereas before, the idea of doing that would just cause me such panic. The idea of speaking in public or the idea of doing a reading or, you know, going to job interviews I would find incredibly hard or, or anything like that was just a nightmare to me. And then afterwards, it was just much easier. And I don't know, it, it, that's... Uh, it was a great uh, gift to me, you know. I really, it was unexpected and, and kind of brilliant. So. Does anybody else have a, a question for John? Yeah, go ahead. Is there one piece of work that you're most proud of, or are you equally proud of all of it? Um, I'm really proud of the stag, uh, but that's a collaboration. I wrote it with Peter MacDonald, and um, the cast were people other than myself. Um, so I'm extremely proud of that. Um, as a, and I was really proud of my first novel too. Uh, but I, I have to say in relation to, to the last question that was asked, uh, I wrote a piece of memoir, like a toe-curlingly awkward piece of memoir <laughs> about myself and my relationship with the Dalmatian dog. Um, and it was published by the Dublin Review. Um, like if you went and read it, you would you would look at me differently. <laughs> I do not have carnal relations with the dog. <laughs> Although, actually, if I'm being totally honest, in San Francisco one day I was he he lived with me. Blue the Dalmatian uh, lived lived with us in San Francisco, and one day I was on the phone to my mom and I was petting him, and then I became aware that the kind of area of of flesh that I was petting had changed in texture, and he actually manoeuvred his 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 balls into my hand. And I was kind of on the phone to my mom, and I was like, oh my god, I'm actually pleasuring a Dalmatian. I'm really proud of that piece of memoir, because it's just like... Because <laughs> I, I couldn't think of anything more mortifying than writing that, and, and, uh, and I wrote it, and I put it out there, and people liked it. And that, to me, was like, it epitomized what I was talking about earlier, that kind of straight line, like, here you go, I have nothing else. <laughs> Uh, I think we have time for one last question, if anybody has a, a question for John. So the novel is um, Single Beds is, is going to be finished uh, maybe by July, and then I, I'm writing a, a script for a comedy film uh, set in a school in Ireland uh, called Handsome Devil. So. Um, I've written a draft of that, and, and I'm going to write another draft and see where it, where it gets to. Uh, I don't know. It's hard to know. There's all those questions about like whether you can get actors in who can get you money to do make it, and 
So it's not, I'm not sure whether that'll be the next thing, but I, I really like for it to be. It's kind of a, it's a comedy film set in school and I'm, I'm fond of it, so I'd like for that to be it. All right. <laughs> These are side gags. Yeah, no, yeah. This will all be edited out. It's going to be two minutes long. <laughs> um, Thanks a million now. Oh, I'm joking, I'm joking. It's going to be really long. It's going to be brilliant as well. Um, well, for what it's worth, um, we're delighted that you came here tonight, genuinely. And I think it's, I know I said it already, but I do think it's fantastic what you've achieved with the stag. And it's very, very difficult for filmmakers or musicians or whoever to, to make anything ever. And um, it's no small achievement. And uh, I think you should be very proud of yourselves. The, the whole bunch is, it's, it's great. So please join me in a round of applause for John Book. That's all for this week. Thank you so much for listening. If you're enjoying the shows, we only ask one thing of you. Tell a friend about it. Think of someone you know that you reckon might like it and send them a link to the podcast. That's it. It would really mean a lot. Indeed it would. If you've got a business, no matter how big or small it may be, and you think you might like to sponsor the show, why not drop us an email on theweeklygm at gmail.com. And trust me, even if you're the kind of business who finds their advertising budget down the back of the couch, we'll be able to work something out. Thanks to our guests this week, Ham Sandwich, Colm Keegan and John Butler, Thanks also to Rory Connolly and Alan Bennett for helping us with our recent recording evenings. And a big thanks to the lads at the Mabos venue for giving us a warm welcome for those evenings. Follow us on Twitter and Facebook, at and slash the Weekly GM. We'll be back next week. Talk to you then. <laughs>